people, teetotalers, friends, listeners, all of the above, let me kickstart your day with a new brew of stories. We have radioactive birds that haunt death zones, tales of giants of old whose strides leave holes in their wake, a wolf like no other wolf, and a picture worth a thousand words, and that word is remorse. Trap yourselves in, pour yourself a cup of tea, let it brew, and whilst you do, let's listen to a story or two. Well, four in this case. Enjoy. Beginning in early April 1986, the people in and around the little-known Chernobyl nuclear power plant began to experience a series of strange events revolving around sightings of a mysterious creature described as a large, dark, and mutated man with giant wings and piercing red eyes. People affected by this phenomenon experienced horrific nightmares threatening phone calls and first-hand encounters with the winged beast, which became known as the Blackbird of Chernobyl. Reports of these strange happenings continued to increase until the morning of April 26, 1986, when at 1.23am, Reactor 4 of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant suffered a catastrophic steam explosion that resulted in a fire, which caused a series of additional explosions followed by a nuclear meltdown. The power plant, located near Pripyat, Ukraine, Soviet Union, spewed a plume of radioactive fallout which drifted over part of the Western Soviet Union, Eastern and Western Europe, Scandinavia, the UK, Ireland, and Eastern North America. Large areas of Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia were badly contaminated, resulting in the evacuation and resettlement of over 336,000 people. The Chernobyl disaster, as the incident was dubbed, is considered the worst accident ever in the history of nuclear power. Following the meltdown and subsequent explosions and fires, Soviet helicopters were dispatched to the scene, equipped with special firefighting gear. These helicopters circled the plant, dropping clay, sand, lead, and other extinguishing chemicals on the burning facility. Most of the fire was put out by 5am, with the fire burning within the reactor, 4, continuing to blaze for several hours after. The firefighters who responded were unaware of the nature of the fire, assuming that it was simply an electrical fire, and received massive overdoses of radiation leading to many of their deaths, including Lieutenant Vladimir Pravik, who died on May 9th, 1986. The workers who survived the initial blast and fire would later die of radiation poisoning, claimed to have witnessed what has been described as a large, black, bird-like creature with a 20-foot wingspan gliding through the swirling plumes of irradiated smoke pouring from the reactor. No further sightings of the black bird of Chernobyl were reported after the Chernobyl disaster, leaving researchers to speculate just what haunted the workers of the plant during the days leading up to the disaster. The most commonly accepted theory suggests that the blackbird of Chernobyl may have been the same creature spotted in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, leading up to the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15, 1968. Investigators have suggested 
that the appearance of this creature is an omen of disasters to come in the area in which it shows itself. The physical description of both the Black Bird of Chernobyl and the Mothman, the creature sighted in West Virginia, are very similar. And the reports of nightmares and threatening phone calls leading up to these disasters are shared in both cases. A second less accepted theory suggests that the Blackbird of Chernobyl was nothing more than a misidentification of the Black Stork, an endangered species endemic to the southern Eurasia. The Black Stork stands nearly three feet tall and has a wingspan of nearly six feet. This theory, however, fails to take into account the menacing phone calls and the disturbing nightmares. Also, the physical description given by the majority of eyewitnesses who actually saw the Blackbird of Chernobyl does not in any way match the physical appearance of the Black Stork. Both the Bird of Chernobyl and the Mothman have not been sighted since their respective disasters, leaving us with many unanswered questions. All we can do is wait for the beast to show itself again and give us a chance to figure out just what it may be. Unfortunately, it would appear that for this creature to show up again, we will have to anticipate some form of disaster in the area it has selected to appear. And thus concludes the Black Bird of Chernobyl. Remorsey. My eyes are sluggish and slow to open. As they open, they reveal the stars covering my room ceiling. And their neon complexion makes it almost seem like eyes peering down at me. Almost like a strange face. I sat up slowly in bed and glared at my feet that dangled over the bed's edge as they have for eight years. I am now fourteen. My mother's financial situation hasn't been stable enough to provide me with a large enough bed, but I noticed my covers had vanished from the scene. It was cold, and the winter's air was plaguing my face. I have left my window open, but I could have sworn I shut it. As I stood to my feet, and cold air tickled my toes, my eyes darted as I scanned my room for any possible intruders. I, after all, had always been incredibly paranoid, especially when I was younger. As I walked slightly towards the window, approaching my dresser that was near my window and reached for the flashlight on top. I accidentally bumped into the photo of my mother and me at the beach that also sat atop. Once I had battered the flashlight down, I began to wind the flashlight until the beam was bright enough to shine for a decent amount of time. I slowly scanned my closet first. I thought I saw something move, but it was my own shadow. I then turned and faced my window and I saw a red eye peering in at me vanish instantly out of my vision. I felt my heart skip a beat. Was that real? Am I not imagining things? I should yell for mum. That's the smartest thing to do here. But I have to be brave. I can't always rely on her for everything. I gathered all the courage I could from my stiff, limbed body, forced myself towards the window as quickly as possible and slammed it shut. Upon slamming it shut, the echo echoed throughout my entire room and caused me to storm. As I saw a large black skeletal hand attempt to pull my window open from the other side, I felt fear and adrenaline fill my body. I flung the lock on the window shut, and the hand crept backward into the darkness of the night. I held tighter onto my flashlight, grabbed my blanket from the freezing wooden floorboard, threw myself onto my bed and covered myself completely with the covers. 
I had the flashlight under me and the beam started flickering and fading. No. No! I panicked and began to wind it as fast as possible. And then the beam was stronger once more and then I heard loud consecutive bangs from the ceiling above me. What could be making these sounds? I didn't dare let curiosity best me after what I saw outside. After a few moments of nothing but the winter air, I heard the vent cover that led directly into my room squeal, open. I huddled tighter than before, and I heard strange clicking sounds coming from something above me. And then I shined my light through the blankets, and I could see a skeletal hand silhouette holding a book, slowly bringing its hand closer to my bed. Sweetie, are you awake? I heard my mum yell from the hall, and then I watched as the hand orientation changed. The book dropped onto my bed, and then the monster clicked a few times and retreated into the vent. I was hyperventilating. I was terrified. Mum! I yelled. And then she knocked twice, and then peered in. Are you alright, hun? She approached me as I removed the covers from my face and turned the flashlight off. Did you have another nightmare? I shook my head no. She sighed and gave me a blank stare and a tint of red shined in her pupils. What did I tell you about reading horror books before night time? I looked down at my feet and saw a completely blank, decrepit black book with a title that instantly caught my attention. It's a bloody colour and it made the title Remorsey pop out significantly, and it seemed to be carved poorly into the book's frontier. I have never once seen this book before. Also, honey, it's freezing here. Did you leave your window open again? I shook my head no, and then she crossed her arms and took my book from the edge of my bed. You're grounded, mister, for not going to bed at a decent time, lying about not reading a book, and now lying to me about not leaving your window open. I am tired of the lies you dish out. And I am your mother. She raised her hand at me and prepared to hit me as she always had. Her eyes filled with red and her hand turned skeletal before mine. Her skin melted away and then black ooze consumed her as she struck me. I know some of her loved me, but I dragged her down financially, especially with the cost of my medicine for my schizophrenia. I know my mother is not a monster. I reassured myself as she struck me once across the face. I know she loves me. And she struck me a second time, a tear rolling down from both my eyes. Trying my best to keep myself from bawling as I only encouraged her violence, she stopped once my face was completely swollen. She glared at me. No more books. She returned to her normal face and she wasn't a monster like the one that continues to haunt me. You know what they do to you, and you are an expensive waste of breath, energy, and time. She tore the book into pieces before my eyes, walked over to my window, opened it, tossed it out, and then turned back towards me. Sleep with the window open. I don't give a damn what you see. She stormed out of my room, slammed the door behind her, and the picture of the two of us on my top dresser fell and hit the floor and shattered, just as I felt my heart do so. I looked up at the ceiling and tried to ignore the burning sensation of my face and eyes. The stars brought me solace every time Mother required a strange face. 
After an hour or two of deep slumber, I awoke as I heard my mother scream. My mind began to raise with possibilities. I took the covers off my body and began to sneak quietly across the squeaking wooden board below me. I opened the door, revealing a hallway that I was familiar with. I saw the last door on the right was wide open, the kitchen. I kept walking as quietly as possible towards the kitchen. I stopped once I felt like I was being watched and looked around me and saw nothing. I walked towards the kitchen and heard footsteps in sync with my own that weren't mine. And I stopped before the kitchen entrance and the footsteps stopped as my own did. I started to hear that same clicking noise from above me. And so my head slowly turned to face whatever it was. And there was a piece of paper rocking back and forth as it fell towards me. I caught it. And I rotated it to see the picture better. It was a rushed cartoon sketch of my mother hitting me. Then I flipped over the drawing and on the back, I saw my mother lying on the floor in the kitchen. I then peered around the corner of the kitchen with the drawing in hand and I saw my mother lying on the floor, identical to the sketched image. What? Am I seeing things right now? I approached my mother cautiously and poked her gently, but no response. There was a note in her hands. I picked it up and read it. Long ago, my mother told me stories of a monster called a back, just as her mother did before me, and the story has been passed down from generations. I have managed to shut out all belief in this monster, as I know it drives people mad, but this one in particular targets my family. I believe my son is mentally ill because of these stories his father told him, and he needs to see a professional. He's just like his father, who claimed he had a similar obsession over this remorsey. I had no choice but to end my husband's life because of his horrifying actions and paranoia, and because he was insane. Right? I swear, recently, I've been losing my mind. The guilt of having murdered him eats away at me. And not telling my son that we are broke because I murdered my husband, his father. There was no one else to blame, though, besides this child, and it's unfair, as I am the guilty one. I dropped the note and rested my hand on her neck to check her pulse, and there was nothing but silence. I watched as she puked up some water, and her body began to twitch and move even though she had no pulse. Her limbs began to snap and creak as she began to tower over me, her eyes filling with red. Mom? I said as I backed up against the cabinets and bumped my back into them. Her back bent completely backwards and then snapped back into place. And then her head snapped from side to side and then met face to face with me. I was horrified and I wanted her back, no matter how hard she would hit me. I needed her back. I can't be alone and I'm not afraid. I'm just... I'm just sad. I slowly sat up and prepared to let this monster end my life as it prepared to strike me. I then moved out of the way as it attempted to hit me and it tore the net that held our food open, then screamed in agony, jumped out the kitchen window and left me alone. Why didn't she tell me anything? Why was I left alone? Why was I to blame for my father's death? I have all these questions but no answers, but I think I may have at least one certainty. I turned my attention towards the ripped net, grasped it tightly and tore it off. I may not have my mother or father, but I don't need them anymore. I only need the truth and the truth alone. 
for then I will never be haunted by guilt as they were. They had been. Hey man, I appreciate you coming here today. I mean, I just... I really gotta get this out. Please, sit down. Hell, it's really freezing up in here, eh? <laughs> Early 20th century, you know, a brief glimpse. You know, all those stories about Bigfoot, the Loch Ness, even those weird 20-foot fish found in drawings from the Middle Ages? I know, I know. It all sounds like a bunch of baloney, but what's interesting is that there exists the possibility that they were real, right? I mean, that's what's been keeping these legends alive. Even after hundreds of years after they were documented, mostly by witnesses and archaeologists, what if? I don't mean that this whole discussion is going to hinge on a what if, but for now, let's assume that they did exist back in the day and that they did strike fear in children and adults alike. I have these, pulls out a manila folder, documents I gathered from museum curators from my travels in Europe and the Orient. They're pretty damn interesting, if not captivating. I mean, look, look. Points out to greyish-worn photograph. See that? That's a freshwater stingray. Caught in 1952, bunch of Thai fishermen out to scrape up a day's worth of fish in the Chao Praia River. Eight meters long, two and a half meters wide. They barely got it back to the riverbank. Even with the help of three other similarly flimsy boats and the thickest gorged fishing net they had. Creepy, yeah? You don't see that size of fish anywhere in today's terms. Even with modern fishing equipment, there's no guarantee that you'll even find something that colossal. You remember me talking about Bigfoot a minute ago, right? Thing is, they did exist as well. Way back in the 19th century, game hunters and keepers in South America were bent on capturing an elusive creature, which was described as a large humanoid being about seven feet tall and exceptionally bulky. Not like a, a fat bulky, but a muscular kind of bulky. You know what I mean? Don't start thinking about the 1967 Patterson Gimli footage of Bigfoot they aired at Nat Geo, because you know, that was fake. Cheap shot at fame, really. <laughs> Anyways, Bigfoot in the 1800th was extremely famous among game hunters. They didn't want anyone palming a shotgun and going after their kill, their prize. So they didn't talk about it, didn't tell anyone unless they were trusted game hunters and keepers as well. And you know what? They were able to hunt down five, six of those Bigfoots a day for real. The bodies alone were useless, but once you got the skeleton all dried out, all those organs and muscles decayed. <laughs> Museum collectors would have done anything, paid hundreds of dollars, even thousands, for intact bones and pages of accurate drawings of the creature. And just like the dodo birds of New Guinea, they died out before the First World War even erupted. Hell, no one even knows that there were uberly remote museums in Africa that have complete skeletons of the ill-fated creature. Museums you'd have died trying to drive to. 
A friend of mine did once, although his car failed to bring him back on the way home. Imagine being stranded on an empty road 70 miles away from the nearest pixel of civilization. Satellite phones saved his ass, though. Whew. When he got back, he told me there was this local museum in Trista de Cuna, which had skeletons of a variety of fish we'd normally see today and even eat only about mm, six to seven times larger and with a few aesthetic differences. The physical structures of the fish, he retold, were rather menacing and terrifyingly practical for real-world contingencies. Large, serrated teeth which slid into the right place when the pre-20th century fish weren't out hunting. Fish that had luminescent bulbs built into their chins, heads and dorsal fins, a world apart from the anglia fish we see today. Spikes, flaps, you name it. Every preservable body part was there to be marveled at. It wasn't that interesting until he mentioned a skeleton nine feet tall, with the same bone structure as Neanderthals. I assume these could have been the real-life Bigfoots, though I wasn't one to conclude on the facts solely. Hand you a sheet of paper. Here, that's one of a few rare finds I had dug up in Turkey. Nine foot tall human beings. And that's not abnormal. Archaeologists presume there had been a whole race of them back when Persia was still an existent empire. Their average height would have been between seven to nine feet, themselves sporting abnormally long legs, and apparently elongated midsection. The skulls, they were actually quite normal looking, save for much sharper looking chins, which actually protruded, as with the nasal bones. It has been prominently said by the Africans, whom I've conversed with, that long ago, by the time of the 16th and 18th century, even the days dating back to a little after the death of Jesus Christ, a race of giant people existed, with an average height of eight and a half to exactly nine feet, which is rather astounding. The ancient Africans hunted these giants because they were believed to be creatures conjured up by witchcraft. Eventually, in the 19th and 20th century, the British began to take over, and thus the giants themselves were driven out of extinction by astonished and more likely terrified British troops who later succumbed to the numerous diseases and drought the continent threw at them. It's unknown if the giant race really became extinct or is in hiding up until today, closed off from the cameras and satellites of the modern world. Theirs alone, if it does exist, would then be one shrouded in darkness, a sort of mystical charisma, which keeps my motivation alive. Then again, what if? Why, you might ask? Are there not any evidence of them now? Well, why don't we see them in the news? Hmm? In documentaries or magazines, huh? Why aren't they frequently studied and why aren't they any existent remains in museums? Ah, <laughs> uh, museums, that's the problem because a lot of people actually speculate that some museums refuse to put these remains on display. Most prominent example of that is the Smithsonian, which has been suppressing evidence related with the nine-foot humans and remains of other seemingly prehistoric creatures for 150 years. What's their reason? I don't know why. But that all the more feeds me, you know? Keeps me interested even after all these years. 
You don't just find cryptids, shoot them up and conclude that, that they're already extinct. <laughs> Dinosaurs, for one, are really extinct, though their lesser forms are found in the likes of reptiles. Giant birds as well, with only the eagle and a few other rare finds which follow in the footsteps of the predecessors. Hunted down or brought to extinction by asteroids the size of New York. I'm not one to conclude that the wondrous inhabitants of the world are all dead, or being burnt up in coal plants the world over. You never really know, since a lot of organisms can adapt, especially if they have a higher sense of intellect. Giant humans, you say? Never mind the numerous basketball players we have today, <laughs> or the abnormally giftedly tall people of modern times. I'm talking perfectly developed, perfectly healthy, nine-foot-tall humans who lived in tents and hunted just like the old humans did. They couldn't just have died like that. The tallest man ever recorded was Robert Wadlow himself, right? Eight foot eleven. A Machinov, the Russian, reputed to be an astonishing 9 feet 4 inches tall, although he was never attended to by physicians or any other recording committees. They are, of course, special people with physical abnormalities, much like Mr. Wadlow's unstable pituitary gland, which caused an unusual amount of hormones to speed up his growth. Not normal. These beings can adapt, think, survive, and it's not just them. I believe that many other cryptids are hidden from the world, waiting, feeding, surviving. I believe they're out there. And he smirks. Even now, I still believe they're out there. Oh, coffee? <laughs> I met the Pelted Man. I met the Pelted Man. When I met the Pelted Man, I was on a school camp trip. The name of the lake has slipped my mind, but we were camping there for two days and three nights. My cabin was on a hill, which had bunk beds all across the walls, three, I believe, six beds in total. The campsite was the highest budget, but it was school tradition to go there every year, and our class was following it. All right, campers, for our next activity, we're going to be getting firewood, our instructor said. A tall man with glasses and a goatee. Why? Terry, my friend, asked, puzzled. Uh, marshmallows. Also, you kids have to do these certain wilderness tasks on every wilderness camping trip, it seems. Pretty sure it's the Constitution or something. A few students muttered to each other in agreement. That did sound like something that would be in there. Okay, four to a group. We'll meet back here in 40 minutes. You guys need chaperones? He asked, scratching his goatee. Sarah, a girl from my grade, spoke up nervously. Wouldn't that be safe? Yeah, probably. But we don't have the budget for that. You'll be fine. The instructor said, absentmindedly. All right, scram, get some firewood. He chewed on his gum, turning around. With that, my group of four departed down the path where we'd seen some branches on a walk earlier. It was me, Terry, Bryce, Another one of my friends, and Ethan. Now, I wasn't particularly friends with Ethan. I didn't even like him. He seemed to only exist to make other people's lives harder. And that wouldn't be different here. So, Bryce, have you heard about the legend of the Pelted Man? Ethan said, gripping onto Bryce's shoulders as we walked. Bryce flinched for a second before turning to look at Ethan. No, what's that? He asked, cautiously curious, I didn't want to give Ethan attention, but the name made me curious. 
I kept an open ear as I walked, listening to what Ethan was saying. They say the pelted man has the power to control wolves. He lives in these woods. He's apparently lived in them for centuries. He owns them, basically. We're just visiting them. He waved his hand in a stereotypical spooky way. Yeah, right. I said, speaking up. And what? He's gonna come kill us tonight while we're all sleeping? This isn't an 80s horror movie, Ethan. God. Terry gasped in mock shock. <gasps> Wait, what if this is an 80s horror movie? He clapped his hands to his face and dramatically fainted into my arms. Oh no! <laughs> I laughed, catching him and shoving him back to his feet. Bryce giggled slightly, covering his mouth. <laughs> right, Ethan. Why exactly are you telling us this? Is that all there is to the story? Not a particularly good one, if that's so. I put my hands on my hips. Ethan pushed his glasses back up to his face, and they fell back down, which promptly led him to just readjusting them. Embarrassed. Oh, there's more to the story, Andy. Ethan grinned, running ahead of us a bit before turning around, grabbing a stick off the ground. Apparently, he's a werewolf. The three of us stared blankly at him, thoroughly underwhelmed. Yeah, but werewolves aren't that scary anymore, man. They're just furries but less colourful. Terry reached down to pick up some sticks off the ground, keeping them underneath his arm. Not that I'd know anything about furries. You aren't letting me finish, Ethan said, running back over to us carrying sticks. Okay, okay, continue. This was a problem with Ethan. He always wanted to be the centre of attention, even when nobody else cared. Right. So you know about werewolf skin? He said. Werewolf skin? Bryce asked, raising an eyebrow. We'd gotten to the place where we'd seen lots of sticks earlier, a pretty patch of trees, where plenty of branches laid on the ground, knocked off by nature or something. I walked there a little bit and started gathering some. Yes, werewolf skin. According to some legends, right, werewolves actually transform by getting into the skin of a werewolf and fusing with it on a full moon. Werewolf skin can, like, increase your lifespan for 30 years if you're wearing it. Terry nudged me as Ethan talked, looking like he was about to burst out laughing. Holy shit, dude. It really is fursuits. <laughs> I couldn't hold it in and burst out laughing, dropping the sticks I was holding. Ethan stopped talking and stared at the two of us, a hurt expression on his face. <laughs> you guys don't even care, do you? You just want to make fun of me. No, 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 no. Keep going. We care, we care. I said, a wide grin on my face as I tried to suppress the laughter. Ethan clutched the sticks he was carrying and stormed off into the woods, leaving the three of us in the spot as Terry and I laughed. Bryce walked over to us, awkwardly smiling, a forced one. That, that was kind of mean. He was just trying to tell us the scary story to set the mood. It's fine. He'll get over it. Besides, he was just trying to scare us, and it didn't work. I glanced over to where Ethan had left and continued picking up sticks, satisfied. Yeah, never mind. Ugh. Bryce said, pursing his lips. Looking back on it, I wish we'd been nicer to Ethan. He didn't deserve how rude we were. 
He was probably just trying to make friends. But we were kids and judgmental kids at that. We just assumed he was trying to bully us, when in reality, we were probably the bullies. But Ethan didn't come back that night. By 9.40, the counsellors and teachers had gathered everyone outside of our cabins to declare that Ethan was missing. You three, Mrs. Price, our teacher called me, Bryce and Terry over, to talk to us in private. You went out with Ethan. You were the last one to see him. Why didn't he come back with you? A chill went through our trio. We knew we couldn't really tell her. Obviously, looking back on it, we should have just told her. But as she mentioned before, we were kind of the bullies, and we subconsciously realized it, and fearing that we'd get into trouble for telling the truth, our thoughts went to lies. We were getting sticks, and Ethan walked off into this one clearing. I blurted out. Followed by Terry's panic continuation, he went deeper into the woods to get sticks. He told us that he'd meet us back at the camp. Mrs. Price stared at us for a moment before placing her palm to her head in frustrations, sighing. Kids, we put you into groups specifically so you wouldn't split up. Oh, we said. After a moment of awkward silence, it's all right, it's all right. We should have explained it better. Just go back to your cabins, we'll find your friend. Stay safe. We nodded and ran back to our cabins, eager to be out of this awkward situation. I can't believe Ethan ditched us, man, Terry said as he walked back. Total attention stealer. He's probably just hanging out by some pond with frogs or something. Bryce, who stayed silent, suddenly spoke up, snapping at us. You guys are being awful. What have you got hurt? And it's our fault? Why didn't we tell her what actually happened? What? So we could just come back in a few hours and get pity points as some kind of victim? That's what he wants us to do, Bryce. It's just another plea for attention. I crossed my arms, rolling my eyes. But what if it isn't? What if he's actually hurt? Bryce pleaded panic in his voice. I sighed as Terry kept walking ahead of us. Listen, we'll wait a couple of hours. If he isn't still back by then, we'll look for him. The three of us. You promise? Bryce asked, breathing heavily from stress. Sure. Ethan didn't come back at that night, and around 11, the three of us snuck out as I promised to Bryce to try and find our acquaintance. We traced our steps, being careful so the teachers and counselors wouldn't see us. Once we got far enough away from the campsite, I got out my phone and turned the flashlight on, shining it around. Okay, stay close, I said, pointing it forward. Where do you think he could have gone? Terry asked, glancing around. You guys remember which way he went? I think he went that way, I said after a moment of glancing around. We kept walking and before long got to the patch of trees where Ethan had run off. Ethan! I yelled, shining my light around. Listen, we're sorry! Are you here? No response. Bryce turned on his phone flashlight too, followed by Terry. Okay, well, uh, maybe he's further ahead. No need to get worried. I said, glancing at Bryce, who was very much worried. We kept pushing on, going past the patch of trees and into the thicker, less explored woods. Ethan! Where are you? You're kind of causing a scene! Terry yelled. Walking towards some trees, I ran ahead a little, searching around for any sign of Ethan. I wasn't searching as well as I should have, and I should have stayed with the group. 
but I was tired and just wanted to get it over. A stick snapped ahead of me as I froze. Terry, was that you? It wasn't Bryce. He was right behind me. Leaves rustled as I waved my light around, getting a little frightened now. Ethan! Bryce yelled, voice shaky. I took a few steps forward and stopped as I stepped on something that wasn't the ground. I slowly looked down, hand trembling to see skin laid there, torn patches of it ripped cleanly off of something. It was laid out in a bunch on the ground like something had peeled it off and discarded it. I screamed, almost dropping my phone and backing up. Skin! Skin! What? Bryce gasped, glancing at the skin before horror filled his face. Who? Whose skin is that? Bryce asked, hyperventilating. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't know. I stammered, unable to take my eyes away from it. My mind instantly made the connection, however. That was Ethan's skin. Something had peeled off his skin. We stared at it in horrified silence until our shock was interrupted by a low, low growl from behind us. Standing there between the trees, engulfed in shadow, was a massive, drooling wolf on its hind legs. It stood at least 14 feet tall, with a hunched back of tattered fur patterns. I tried to comprehend what I was looking at, as it stared at the two of us with amber eyes. Something's flesh stuck to its back, warped jaw. He looked like a wolfman made of dozen different pelts from other wolves. I understood now. The werewolf skin. It was wearing so many werewolf skins to the point where it barely even resembled a human. Then, that was it. The pelted man turned away from us, lumbering back into the woods. It had no interest in us. Already having fed on Ethan shortly before, Terry found the two of us five minutes later standing there in shock and terror. Despite how many times he asked us what had happened, neither of us ever told him. We were too scared, unable to process what we'd just seen. We went back to our cabins, and the next day, the trip ended early. Ethan never got found, and our school never went on a trip to that camp again. I haven't told a soul about what I saw back there, and for what I know now, neither has Bryce. Until now, that is. I had to get this off my chest. I had to tell somebody. As far as I know, the Pelted Man is still in the woods, where it's always been. It was there before we came there, and it will be there long after. I have no plans to ever go back there, not to risk myself being devoured by this thing, this wolfing monstrosity, whatever it is. I still remember those gleaming amber eyes staring at me from the darkness, and I stared back. I remember Ethan's words. He owns the woods. We're just visiting them. Legends, I hope you enjoyed your four tales tonight. My particular favourite would have to be the tongue-in-cheek tale titled, They Had Been. I just like how silly it was and I love playing the narrator when things are a bit goofy. Now Legends, for those of you who are super spectacular, you can support me through Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com and you can support me for as much as a cup of tea a month and if you want to reach out to me for any reason contact me on stories fables ghostly tales at gmail.com i want to thank the people the legends that keep this podcast pumping around 
A huge thank you to my O-Night T-Titan that ties this podcast to a rocket, sets it for ready, aim, and fire towards the moon. Star, a truly cosmic entity that supports this show, thank you immensely for your ongoing support, friendship, and jaw-dropping brilliance. You are a shining star amongst the sea of stars tonight. And you, sir, shine ultra, ultra bright. Thank you, you legend, and I can't wait to read your latest response. You are awesome. Cheers, Matto. And to my white tea warlord, the man who keeps this podcast bouncing and prouncing in the frying pan and skipping to the sky with energy, Lazucasaurus Rex. Thank you for your brilliant support. Lovely comment on the Patreon page that put a smile on my face for the entire week. Thank you, you legend. And it's lovely to have your ongoing support as always. You are awesome, Leza. And to my old grain forces and the rest of this dream team, I'm lucky to have... Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaele, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, Jane Gumnick, Michael Krupp, Jandy Prinz, and Seductive Smiles. Truly a lot of epic people. I'm thankful for every month of your support, and it's never lost on me, mates. Thank you so much. Now. Pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavoring is precise. Like a story, let it flow, let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together, and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again. And that, my friends, will be next Monday. See you soon, and have a wonderful week. Catch ya.